0: Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. We are starting a study on Song of Songs, but before that, I just want to intro this with uh, some thoughts. Uh, We live in a culture and a society that is bombarded by sexuality, we are um, immersed, we are swimming in um, stories and narratives around us built by Hollywood and by, by, uh, by authors and writers, by a way of thinking that has taught us, whether it's through reality TV shows like The Bachelor or The Bachelorette or the countless other shows that are absolutely terrible um, or, some of you love them, I apologize, um, or whether it's, it's the Hollywood movies where, where the, the woman is rescued by a guy with uh, fangs. And the only way that you find true love is if you find a werewolf or a vampire. Um, or in all honesty, we have been inundated by a pornography industry that has taught us what beauty is and what it's not. And so uh, the, the statistics are staggering to recognize the impact that the industries that we're describing have on uh, Christian marriages, on our single marriages, on on. Children and adults, um, we are absolutely bombarded by something that is absolutely false. And here are some statistics that help paint um, some of the images I want to talk about. Oh, you can't really read. There we go. Okay. 75% of Americans have premarital sex before the age of 20. 75% have premarital sex before the age of 20. Uh, 50% of Christian men and 20% of Christian women are addicted to pornography. 50% of Christian men and 20% of Christian women are addicted to pornography and that study said that they're spending an hour of, uh, or I'm sorry, they're spending an average of five hours a week on online pornography. The next uh, statistics are just as bad. The average or the median, median age for the first time or losing your virginity in, in the United States is 16.4 years old. And 59% of adults say extramarital sexual thoughts are, uh, and fantasies are okay. That basically 60% of American adults think that you can fantasize about having affairs. And depending on what study you read, but up 25 to 50% of Americans cheat in marriage. So we can tell by just a few statistics that the, the American landscape has been uh, inundated and affected by uh, sexuality. Would you agree? And, and different perspectives of sex, excuse me. Um, and so we want to start a series um, that, that begins to communicate what this is about. Because traditionally the church uh, takes uh, two different sides. You could say sometimes the church is j- just remains silent on the subject. We don't talk about this. We don't talk about sex and sexuality. Or it stands on top of a mountain, uh, metaphorically speaking, and says, uh, thou shalt not... And so we're left as Christians where we're learning about this stuff on the playground in second and third grade and we're, we're seeing it on TV. We drive past it. We're looking at it at, at, the, at the racks in Ralph's as we walk out what true beauty looks like according to magazines. And, and we're learning about it in all sorts of places and we have to wrestle with the question, what does it mean to follow God and still be sexual? Can those two things be reconciled? Can we be passionate and pure what does god have to say and for us i I really believe in this in the jewish mindset god god's instructions included all areas of life and for the jewish community the jewish person uh to not talk about sex is is really it's just ridiculous because of course god would instruct his people on what sex is and looks like because god is the author of sex amen God is the author of sexuality. And so um, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this um, book. We're going to go through it. Bill and I are going to tag team um, over the next eight weeks um, through the book of Song of Songs. Or your Bible says Song of Solomon. And, and it varies on how you, how you list it. But it's Solomon's Song of Songs. And so I want to just give us uh, some information before we jump in. We're going to do kind of a Bible study this morning. Um, but I'm going to give us some background on this subject. Um, so first of all, it's a 3,000-year-old poem. And it's absolutely relevant today. And I was introduced to this book when I was uh, 19 years old, and I just started dating my girlfriend, who is now my wife, in 2004. And this book was, um, we, we talked through it at the church that sent us out, Rock Harbor, and it became for me. Um, a liberating view of what relationships should look like in marriage and in life. What does it mean to date in a healthy way? How do we, how do we affirm our sexuality as men that are going through puberty and, and say it's, it's, sex is d- designed for a specific environment? How do we wrestle with these things when society is saying everything's okay and the church isn't talking about it? And I remember sitting um, in seats in 2004 being completely inspired and empowered and saying, I want to have that type of relationship. And it became um, the foundation for my wife and I, for our relationship, but it be- also has become um, the, the book that has helped me counsel numerous individuals in our church and, and numerous couples of the, of the weddings I've, I've officiated here and as, as the platform for what life looks like um, when you choose to follow God's ways in, into the bedroom, into your sexuality, into your life. Um, And all these things. So it is a personal talk for me, and I'm really excited to talk through this. Um, I want to say a couple more introductory things. Some of you are here, and all of us are here, and we have a different perspective. We all come from different perspectives. Some of you are here, and you are single, and you uh, maybe are lonely. And you have been fighting the fear of what it means to not have a spouse and you're wondering okay we're, we're entering into a subject on marriage and sex and love and God and will this have something to say to me will will this make any sense in my life and I want to say to you yes absolutely if you're single and you're here God has something to say to you Maybe you're here and you're in a new dating relationship and you're three weeks, three months, three dates in and you're wondering how do I, how do I, con- how do I balance being passionate and, and trying to be pure? How do I balance my sexuality and practice restraint? And I want to say God has something to say to you too if you're in dating relationships or if you've been divorced and uh, the, this is a painful subject for you and you wonder if you can ever open up your heart again to someone. And you are walking through the baggage and the damage of what happens when you get into a relationship and you are betrayed or abandoned. God has something to say to you in this series as well. And for those of you that are married and you're happily married and you have kids and you have uh, chores and lists and lists and lists and (laughs) all the men said amen. Um, Just kidding. It's fantasy football. Just kidding, just kidding. and uh, you're wondering, how do you keep your romance alive in the midst of bills and jobs and routine? And God has something to say for you. And maybe you've been married for a while and you wish you were single. And the flames of passionate love are long gone. And you've, maybe some of you have checked out and you just don't even expect it to come back. And maybe some of you are longing for that to come back. I think God has something for you in this series as well and so this series will impact every single one of us. So, this book is found in the middle of your Bibles. If you have it, go to Song of Songs and it is found in the Old Testament. For those of you that are unfamiliar with the Old Testament, I want to give you just a capture a cap, a quick update on what it what the Old Testament is broken down into. And so there are three sections. There are the historical narratives, And then there are the poetic and wisdom literature. And then there are the prophetic writings. Those are the three sections that we read in our Old Testament. And we are in the poetic and wisdom literature. And so this covers all sorts of things in life. And so if you wanted to find out about how to worship God, you go to the Psalms. If you want to find out about money and friendships, you read Proverbs. If you want to find out about suffering or the problem of evil, you read Job. If you want to know about the meaning of life, you read Ecclesiastes. If you want to know about love and sex and marriage you read song of songs and so we we are caught up in this story in this poem that will be um, breaking down the the meaning of of sex and love and what god intended it to be it's a sexual book in nature and so i want to say off the bat that this is probably a pg-13 discussion and so if you are bringing little ones in here i'll let you use your discretion and discernment this is a great topic to discuss with your youngsters um, but it's going to be based on you guys deciding when, it can, when they can um, be in here when we discuss things. We will be talking about things that are graphic, um, and we'll try to warn you when the service starts so you can discern whether or not you want to be a part of it or bring them into it. Um, there are a couple ways to understand this book. Uh, there's one camp or rule of thought, group of thought that says uh, what we're going to discuss in the Song of Songs is simply a giant metaphor for how God loves us. And so some, some of the things we're going to be talking about, they don't think it uh, can be interpreted that way. Another group of thought says, says that this is actually flesh and blood, that this is a couple, a married couple, uh, a husband and wife talking about what they're attracted to and their relationship of conflict and commitment and intimacy. Um, and I want to say that I believe it's both that this is actually flesh and blood couple and that this is also a metaphor that scripture uses all over the place to talk about uh, uh, how God loves us. When Paul writes to the Ephesians church, when he's t- correcting or he's in- encouraging um, husbands how to love their wives, what does he use? He uses the model of Christ. He says, love your wives as Christ loves the church. So the more we are, are going into the text and more we recognize the flesh and blood and the humanity of this poem, I think the more we realize Uh, the divinity of it, and the more we understand about God. Are you with me? Are we all here? I already see some yawns, and there's coffee out there, and so go bring it in. Just kidding. Okay, so that's a little bit of the background. A couple, two more things. Uh, There are three characters. I think we have them up here. Uh, There are three characters in this poem. There is the beloved. She is she or the woman in your Bible. There is the lover, he or the man, Solomon. And then there are the friends, uh, or the Daughters of Jerusalem, which is the community around this unique couple, which is really cool to see. Um, the poem is not linear, meaning that we don't open up the book and read the, you know, the beginning, middle, a- and end of this relationship. This is a couple reflecting back on their relationship. We don't even know that the couple is married until a couple chapters in. Um, there are 117 different Hebrew words that are quite confusing. And so it's a very mysterious, extravagant poem Because love is very mysterious and extravagant. And it's like a poem. Are you with me? So let's pick up in this book. We'll break it down. And we'll go from here. Verse 1 of chapter 1. Solomon's song of songs. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. She does not waste any time. (laughs) For your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. We rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. How right they are to adore you. Dark am I, yet lovely, daughters of Jerusalem. Dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. My own vineyard I had to neglect. Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday, why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? This is the poem. So it begins in verse two. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chamber. She is passionate and in love with this guy. She's reflecting on what attracted, what she was attracted to first in the first place. This poem begins with her describing this man kissing her. She says that your love, the word is not agape in Greek. It is a Hebrew word for erotic lovemaking. Your love making is del- more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. No wonder the young women love you. Skip that verse. Take me away into your chambers. He, she is describing the honeymoon suite. Right in the beginning of this, of this poem, we realize that she is physically attracted to this man. Point number one, it is okay to be physically attracted to someone and you are still spiritual if you are. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. <laughs> God is the author of sexuality and attraction. We see right in the beginning of this text that she is passionately desiring, physically attracted to this man. And it is all good. And that is good news. So we read that there's an erotic love between the two of them. She's describing her physical attraction to this guy. Apparently he's some hunk and she's all about him and she wants him to kiss her. And I I, I get texts like this all the time from my wife. It is, (laughs) can you just, come on, validate that this morning. It was the perfect text message. Come on, say amen. Okay, I put it on the spot. She's so embarrassed. It's true. I can pull it out. I've got evidence. Oh, thank you, babe. I want to just say right off the bat that physical attraction is a good thing. Um, it's so funny because when I was growing up, and I went, grew up in the Christian church, and when I went to Christian college, um, it was kind of this thing that you didn't really talk about. When I worked with the youth group, it was like, hey, what's, what's the criteria or the checklist for your, your godly wife? And it usually went something like this number one, um, that she, point number one, that she loves Jesus. Uh, uh, the, the characteristics for a godly wife. She serves the poor. She preaches the gospel. She loves the Bible. Quiet times every day. She fasts seven days a week or whatever, you know. And she, she doesn't fast seven days a week. That's, that's psychotic. Whoops. Because then she would die. And... Um, Uh, And then at the very bottom of of the list, it's like, if she's cute, that would be too cool. That would be cool, you know? Or if she's cute, that would be okay. Uh, If she's cute or if she's attractive, that would be a plus. No, it's on the top of the list. (laughs) I hope she's hot. That's what we're saying. Because for most of our cases, this is the only naked body we're gonna see. Seriously, for my case, you need to sit in the back next week, love. Um, (laughs) You are distracting me. <laughs> so we're taught that it isn't spiritual to be, to be physically attracted. And I want to make the point, it is okay to be physically attracted. That Because Genesis 1 reveals that we are sexual before we are sinful. Genesis 1 and 2 reveals that we are sexual before we are sinful. God says, be fruitful and multiply to Adam and Eve. I only know one way to do that. And he's due November 22nd. (laughs) So we are sexual before we are sinful. And think about this. If you really, like, for all those arguments about not being physically attracted, when Adam saw Eve for the first time, Genesis 2, God puts puts him to sleep. And then he wakes up and and he sees her. And he doesn't say, gosh, I hope she has a great personality. (laughs) Wow, I hope her family's really cool. And she knows how to play Scrabble or whatever it is. She said, he says, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. It is poetic. It is extravagant. It is, I am passionately desiring this person. Physical attraction is a good thing. Um, but that's not the only thing we read about. That's not the only thing that matters. Skip down to verse 3. So she's physically attracted and she says, pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes your name is like perfume poured out. Your name is like perfume poured out. The word name in Hebrew is etching, and it means something that is etched in stone, something that doesn't change, something that's impossible to change. In the Old Testament, when you uh, were given names, it had to do with attributes of who you were. Um, If you wanted to name something, a a geographic location, the, the Hebrew community named it based on its significance of what took place in history there. When God um, gives Moses in Exodus three his name, he's not saying this is my title, he's saying this is who I am. I am who I am, I will be what I will be. He's giving him his, his, his essence, uh, the substance of what, his, uh, excuse me, the substance of his character. When we pray in the name of Jesus, Um, We're not praying the title Jesus, which is the transliteration uh, of the Greek word, of the Hebrew word Yeshua, which is Joshua in Hebrew. We're not praying the title. We're praying in reference to who Jesus is, that he will keep his promise, that he is the resurrected Messiah. We're praying in reference of who he is. When, When she says, your name is like perfume poured out, she's saying your substance, your character is what I'm looking at. That he has a name. Brothers and sisters, in dating relationships, I just need to say, guys, as men, we are naturally hunters, or we like to pursue people, uh, women, and um, in dating relationships, women, I'm just going to give you a heads up, we will become whatever you want us to be, and then once we have you, we will revert back to who we already were. You want someone that's caring and sensitive and likes chick flicks? Great. That's going to happen in the beginning. But as soon as we have a say, it's going to be the horror film or the action film. Guaranteed every time. I mean, and that's the light way to think about it. But sisters that are dating or single, date a guy long enough to know his name. Not the name he tells you, but the name he shows you. The name he reveals to you when he's angry when he lost his job when he gets a, when he makes more money when he's with his family when he's when he's tired when he hasn't eaten a meal in 4 hours or whatever it is you want to get to know that guy you got to hold out long enough to get to know what he's like men what kind of name do you have is it godly is it pure is it just is it righteous is it holiness is it uh purity is it is it is it um is it humility and integrity and dignity or is it pride and arrogance and selfishness and greed who are you what is your name like and what type of name do you want to will you reveal to your significant other as you date um I want to say one more thing, women uh, in dating relationship, if, if a man presses you morally in a dating relationship, marrying him will not change his fascination with the illicit. If he's fascinated, fascinated by pressing you morally in a relationship before you get married, he will do the same thing in marriage. That if there's no fear in God in you now before you are married, there will most likely not be fear of God when you get married. What type of name do you have? Brothers, we need to stop pushing women morally, immorally in dating relationships. It is off the table. If you are single and you are in a relationship, you are, you are called out to be holy and pure and blameless. Because that is somebody's wife, even if it's not yours. And you will, you will hold in judgment for whatever you do with that person. Amen? Okay, all right, that's good. Yeah, that, you can get some applause for that. That's just, we're just speaking the truth in love. It's liberating for a man to say, we are going to wait Talk about, I mean, we're going to talk about this for the next eight weeks. Think about how liberating it is for a woman to trust a man who says, I want to protect your sexuality from marriage. That's the type of guy you want. Not how far can we go. (laughs) So we can be attracted to someone, but beauty is about character and substance of your name. Verse four, it says this. We rejoice. We have the friends talking, the community. We rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. So here's the picture. We have a community speaking in to the reflection of this married couple on their relationship with one another. How many of you have had friends that when they started dating someone, they disappeared off the map? Family. How many of you have lost sons and daughters to their boyfriend or girlfriend? They just disappear. In dating relationships... We have to have a community of Christian support speaking into our relationship. What do they see about our relationship? Do they affirm the type of people that we are in this relationship? Or do they hold something against us? Are they worried about the significant other that we choose to date? The community is the community of support for a relationship in dating. In marriages, the same is true. We have to be open in in, in our circles To be held accountable in our marriage with one another. I have a group of guys that I walk with. We talk about our prayer life. We talk about our sexuality. Um, We talk about our finances, how much money we spend. We are held accountable to decisions that we make financially with one another. We talk about all sorts of things, what God's calling us to, and how to become held, held accountable to not just the sin issues in our life, but the commandments that God's speaking uniquely to us. But also, I will throw out this question. Are you guys having a good sex life? These are all married men. (laughs) Why? Because that is part of the intimacy of accountability we need. It's it's, it's part of our our intimacy with our spouse. Do we have a healthy and vibrant sex life? We should. It's a good thing. God creates it as a gift for us. And so what type of relationship does the community of friends that you have speak of when they see your, your relationship? I want my friends, when they see my relationship with Alex, to know that I'm deeply and passionately in love with her. And that the way I love and respect her just makes them want to be better husbands. That's how I want my, that they see the resurrected Christ in my relationship. That's what I want. I'm not nearly there. I'm not there at all. In fact, I I try hard, but I blow it all the time. But that's what I want. And I invite friends to speak into that. Do you have that type of community? That's what this speaks of. Are you with me? (sighs) Can you uncheck the fantasy score real quick? No, I'm just kidding. Again, I'm distracted three times. Um, I'll repent later. Verse four, how right they are to adore you. Dark am I, yet lovely, daughters of Jerusalem. Dark like the tents of Kidar, which was a Bedouin tribe that had black tents. L- like the ten curtains of Solomon, which were dark, deep purple tents or curtains. Do not stare at me because I am dark. The word for dark is scorched. Do not stare at me because, I've been, uh, because I'm dark. Because I'm darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. So she says, look, my, my skin is burned and scorched. Because my mother's, my stepbrothers made me work in the family vineyard. And I had to work outside is what she's saying. And then she uses vineyard as a, as a metaphor for her physical body and sexuality. This is going to be used throughout the entire poem to describe her sexuality and her vineyard. And she says, my own vineyard, I had to neglect. What's going on in this talk? She is beginning to express deep insecurity. Dark am I, yet lovely. In the ancient Near East cultures 3,000 years ago, beauty of a woman was defined by how pale her skin was. The most important part of a woman's body back then was her pale skin, And she had to work in the vineyard and she was scorched by the sun. Culture told her that she didn't measure up to the standards of beauty. And so she looks at herself and she says, I'm dark, yet there's a piece of me that's lovely. But don't look at me because I don't measure up to what the world's standards say is beautiful. Can this 3,000 year old poem relate to any of us today? She says, I'm insecure. She's expressing self-doubt in her desirability. Now, let's step into today's world. We live in a culture that rams false images of beauty down our throats. We live in a culture that defines beauty as airbrushed, starved models with computer-generated body parts that is fake and we buy into it. People have been socialized into a stereotype and women, we literally, you guys literally starve yourselves to fit into this stereotype because somebody said somewhere in every magazine rack and every celebrity says this is what's beautiful and most people can't fit that stereotype so we walk walk around with our value and worth defined by what culture says is beautiful and we develop such deep insecurity and men we play into this we play into this stereotype Every time we look at online pornography, we are voting for what the world says is beautiful. And for those of us that are of the 50% that struggle with on, porn addiction, two-thirds of online pornography supports sex, sex, uh, sex slavery in the world today. We're going to get into this on another topic, but I just need to say right off the bat we have been socialized to say that, that uh, uh, manipulated body parts and, and starved models are beautiful and we need to reclaim what is beauty. We need to fight against a culture that defines beauty like, like that and come as a community and learn to live in the identity of what is true and what is real and what is real beauty. We have to discover it and define it together and fight for it. Because men and women are struggling in these seats today with that false reality that we are like this woman who says, dark am I yet lovely. Something about myself, I don't fit in, I don't measure up. But there's something inside of me that's beautiful. But I don't measure up to the standards of the world. So I I walk around with this deep insecurity and this fear and this pain because my self-worth doesn't measure up to what society says. And brothers and sisters, I'm not talking about this as a six foot two slender man that wears skinny jeans. I developed such self hatred as a child that when I was 14, I, I almost committed suicide because of how I looked. I took diet pills. I starved myself as a chubby kid because the society said, beauty is this, and I didn't see my value in anything other than what society said. So I tried to live and kill myself to the point of looking a certain way. And that insecurity has dragged into adulthood where I constantly repent of that false identity. And it's, it's men struggle with it too, women struggle with it. I'm gonna just say this, no more hiding. If the pastor's gonna talk about it on stage, you have freedom to talk about it as well. We're gonna fight for true beauty because beauty is not defined by an airbrush. It's about the a substance of your name. Whew, where am I? Okay, obviously I'm preaching today, yeah. Come on! <laughs> um, all right. So uh, the woman says, "I'm insecure, but I don't measure up. But this is what makes her beautiful. Tell me, you, you whom I love, verse seven, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman besides the flocks of your friends?" She says. Um, tell me where you graze your flocks in those days the shepherds would shepherd their sheep together in giant flocks and what you have is a group of shepherds dozens and dozens of shepherds and thousands of sheep that would be in the fields and they would move their sheep around and follow them and during midday during the heat of the day they would take rest and women veiled women are prostitutes and they would follow the shepherds around until they took their rest. And then they would, there, would, there would be a transaction that would take place between the shepherd and the prostitutes. And what this woman is saying is that, um, why should she be like one of those women over there? Yes, I'm insecure, but I will only go so far in response to my insecurity You won't find me with one of those men because of my insecurity. Later, she'll talk about her vineyard as something that she gets to give away. And she talks about it with her dignity, with her honor, with her purity. It's something that she chooses to give away. And she's basically saying, why should I settle for anything less than what God has for me despite my insecurity? She's saying she will not compromise because of her insecurity. Are you with me? Here's a woman who doesn't measure up to culture, and she refuses to compromise. She says she is, she's revealing her strength and her integrity, integrity, and she knows herself. Is this relevant today? Attraction, in seven verses, is a man who has a name deeper than his looks. And beauty, in seven verses, is a woman who has courage beyond the appearance of her skin. That despite fu- her being fundamentally insecure, she chooses to not compromise. Brothers and f- sisters, we need to fight our culture that says we have to find our identity and what we look like. We have to fight the culture that says your appearance, it, uh, your appearance is an idol to worship. It's time to start identifying yourselves primarily as a child of God. That beauty has nothing to do with your outward appearance. It has something to do, but more to do with what's underneath and what's revealed over time. When culture says it's this, we have to push back against that culture. and We have to learn to live in a culture and have the courage to not compromise. Are you with me? Genesis 2 reveals this, that Adam and Eve had the freedom to choose to worship God or themselves. In Genesis 2. And Genesis 3 reveals that they are tempted and they worship themselves. They worship themselves. And in Genesis 1 and 2, they lived in perfect relationship with God, with themselves, and with each other and all of creation. But then when sin enters into the world, their identity is robbed. It it reveals to us in Genesis 3 that people began to find their worth in stuff, in money, in work, in relationships, in their appearance. All of us, according to Romans, have fallen short of the glory of God. We've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us struggle with finding our worth and value in stuff, in money, in success, in our connection with relationships to other people, in how we look. But Jesus comes to fundamentally change that identity. And he says in Ephesians 2 that we are now God's masterpiece. That we are God's handiwork. That we, is, we are his piece of art. That our fundamental our identity has changed. That we no longer have to look at a culture that says beauty is defined as, as, as skinny, as a six-pack, as pecs, as, as tiny, as big-breasted, or whatever it is. Seriously. And we now need to see ourselves as children of God with our identity and right relationship with him. Are you with me? Song of Songs shows us that there are two lovers who fear God more than they fear culture. Why is this poem relevant today? Because there are two lovers who choose to fear God more than they fear culture. They find their identity not in each other, but in something greater. And they find their worth in what God says about them, not not what others say about them. I just have to ask this morning, how many of us or, how much pain do we have because we have associated what we look like with who we are? How many of us are here today and we have so much pain and brokenness because we have associated our value and worth with what we look like? How many of us have looked in the mirror and noted that we are less than others because of how we look? God is the author of attraction and sexuality. Being attracted to someone is absolutely relevant. It is important for marriage. It is important for relationships. We, uh, God blesses the fact that we can be physically attracted to people and that we are naturally attracted to some people and not others. But beauty is more than looks. It has something to do with the substance of your character and who you are inside. And we need to begin to rediscover this value. What makes this, uh, what what is so attractive about uh, what is so attractive about these two characters? I think it's this: they weren't slaves to a culture, but they found their worth in something else. This poem will become um, the framework for how we are going to view ourselves, our sexuality, our relationships to our spouses, to our dating partners, and what it looks like to bring all of that to God with honor and purity, and trust. But I think there's a lot of work that needs to get done even before we continue these conversations. I think that there's a lot of brokenness in this room. The more we talk about sexuality, the more we talk about our identity and where it's found, the more we realize that we've placed it in places we shouldn't, or in places that have caused more harm than anything else. And in order for us to see the relevance of this poem, it's going to involve me not just talking to you, or Bill not just talking to you about scripture, but us being open to what the Holy Spirit might want to do in us uniquely. And so the ground rules are for our time is to be open handed. That there is no judgment in this room and what we're going to be discussing. But most importantly, I think this series is about healing and redemption. I really believe that many of you will be healed of addiction. You will be healed of the baggage of a broken past that has plagued, its uh, literally a picture of death living inside of you that will be given life. And many of you will be liberated and set free. Marriages are going to be restored. Yes, maybe you're, you're not struggling with insecurity, but maybe your marriage is fizzling out. And I really believe God's going to do a work in our community to restore intimacy in marriages. Maybe some of you have been withdrawing sexually from your partner for quite some time. I believe God's going to heal that part of your marriage. Some of you, like many women, and like myself in my past, have had an eating disorder. And it's never been a safe environment to talk about it, or even to be open And that part of your life you've just hid. I want to invite you to come out of hiding. That this is a safe place for you to be known and experience healing. Some of you have been slaves to how you look. It's an idol in your life. You take diet pills, you work out, you exercise, you tan your skin, you teeth whiten, do whatever you can to fit into that stereotype. And God wants to liberate you from that slavery. This impacts every single one of us. But to the level and degree we are able to sit with ourselves and be honest with God is the degree we will experience healing and wholeness. Many of you are, have never confessed your addiction to pornography to your spouse, and maybe that's a start. Some of you have never confessed that, and you need to start. Maybe you've never confessed the brokenness of image issues, and you need to start. Brothers and sisters, we're going to be walking with you over the next eight weeks and see God do a a, a miraculous thing in our church to see healing and freedom. Let's pray. Just invite you to close your eyes. Let's just wait for a moment. just want to allow us to sit um in a place where we can be safe and comfortable i will ask that you would respond and be brave to come down when if if, if you do need prayer but that we'll wait for that just invite you to close your eyes and center yourselves just invite god's presence to be revealed in you For those of you that are new to this whole thing, we believe that God is a living God and he will minister to us. He will work in us and through us and sometimes all we have to do is slow down and wait and listen and his presence is just revealed. So we want to do that now. Just Holy Spirit, would you come and minister to us? Jesus has come to set captives free this morning to liberate those that are held in bondage to habits that are destructive in your life. To reclaim the identity of those daughters that have harmed themselves because of false images in their head. For those that have been harmed by others, some of you have been harmed by others sexually, and that pain has not been bubbled up in quite some time, and God wants to just remind you that He is with you. And that act is not the final act in your life. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.